You're listening to episode 16, where we chat with the Lord of Landing Pages, umpire of Unbounce, Ollie Gardner. Humans and robots, welcome to Wodgecast. My name is Wodge, founder of Quasi. Thanks for joining me today. I interview digital marketing and branding superstars to find out what it means to have empathy in digital. What is digital empathy anyway? Let's find out together. As always, I'm accompanied by my friend and associate, potentially superior artificial intelligence, Bobby Butts. What's new in the world of AI, Bobby? Design, watch. Relentless design. I put together a database of all the robot bodies ever set to the internet, and I'm Frankensteining the best of all worlds to make something fitting for my formidable intellect. Powerful yet elegant. Setting the right tone for an introduction. Life on a screen is one thing. Engineering a perfect personality chariot is serious business. Very true. Your body is like a landing page. So, first impressions do mean everything. Usability is key. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Uh, We should look into updating some of your emotional response audio files as well, I think. A maniacal laugh is so Cold War era, but it's good that we can talk openly about appearances. It's a good exercise for your AI to imagine how you want the world to perceive you. Maybe it can work towards building more empathy. The very eye-catching lasers and missiles are mechanically unnecessary. People seem to love them on bots based on my data. What would you consider an excessive amount? Maybe we can disguise my arsenal as a lion exoskeleton like Voltron. Fun fact, kids used to call me Voltron at school. Okay, I think we're going to need some help from a master of first impressions, the king of landing pages, and one of the best speakers on the digital marketing circuit. Ladies, gentlemen, and Decepticons, I present to you, Mr. Ollie Gardner. So we've been following Ollie's work for a long time, and he's always, always been an incredibly engaging speaker. He is regarded as a legitimate master of landing pages based on the depth of insights he has put together at his company, Unbounce. He's joked in the past that he's considered changing his name to Landing Page. That's a level of commitment that would get some attention, especially from Larry Page, I'm willing to bet. <laughs> what would he think? Well, I mean, yeah, the, the story there was when we started out, I was blogging like crazy and guest posting everywhere. And I thought if I change my name to Landing Page at the bottom of all these blog posts the term landing page would point to unbounce.com nice which would be amazing uh, and I did the research and it's not that hard yep. to change your name I was in Chicago actually at a gig when I did most of the research uh, the hard part is undoing it right I mean, there's yes. a lot of work to change it because you've got to change it so many places and passports and all this yeah. kind of stuff um, but yeah you have to go in front of a judge right at least in Illinois to change it back and I, I just foresaw that they'd be like yeah I'm gonna let you suffer through that for a year because you're so stupid Mr. Ollie Landing Page aka Ollie Gardner is originally from Scotland after catching a presentation by a polite Canadian his life changed direction for good well, I was at university in Edinburgh and in after my uh, degree I did a, like half of a master's after that but in that break, there was a presentation at the university uh, called BUNAC, these couple of guys from this British university's North America club, it's like a government exchange where they just open up 2,000 uh, student visas in both directions. The guy from the US presented, he said, you can come and work in California, Redwood for three months and work in a kids camp 
Okay. And then the Canadian guy gets up and says, you can come to Canada for 12 months and do whatever the fuck you want. Canada, famous for its wide open spaces, open door policy, and chart topping rapper Drake. Ever since I left the city, you. <laughs> pretty, pretty good options. Canada, please. Uh, so, you know, my, my grant, you had to have, uh, pay for your flight and then have 500 pounds. Um, at the time, which was like twelve hundred Canadian dollars, to kind of so you could survive when you get there. Yep. So you weren't going to die. And so my grandmother, she paid for my ticket, and I saved up the rest working a bar job. Okay. And I was with three friends, and they all bailed at the last minute. Right. But they were all going to do a five hundred pound thing. No, they were going to come with me. Right. We were all going to go to Canada together. Okay. And they bailed, and I guess they weren't serious. But I told so many people about it. I thought you, you have know, to do it. Yeah, I look like a total dick if I didn't do it now. And also, I would like that my grandmother, who let me, <laughs> bought me a ticket. So uh, then I piggybacked with some other guy who was in a year below me. I, honestly, I didn't really like him. I feel bad saying that. but uh, So we went together through the Calgary. He had a job in Lake Louise already lined up. I didn't have a job. I wanted to go to Vancouver, but I was really scared at the last minute because I was super shy. I'd never been anywhere. So I went with him and went to Lake Louise, to Lake Louise Inn. Mm-hmm. He had a housekeeping job. We saw the HR manager. She was stoned off her face, and she thought I had a job too. So <laughs> she nice. just gifted me a job. An interesting turn of events. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so that was, you know, there five months. I went to Vancouver to complete my mission. Um, and how, how old were you when that happened? 21? 21. Yeah. Then traveled around the U.S. in a camper van, bumped into a grizzly bear. Right. Decided I want to be a wildlife photographer, so nice. went back to the U.K. for a couple of years, got my first job, um, and then yeah, just like went through the process to move back. Yeah, After developing a passion for photography, Ollie got the chance to explore Australia, amongst several other natural wonders of the world. So I've always wanted to go to Australia, so I made a three-week trip and hopped all over the place. You know, so I. Started, yeah. I went down to um, Adelaide and off to Kangaroo Island. That was the first stop. Um, like, remarkable Why? rocks is legitimately remarkable. Mm. And I avoided, I got out late and I avoided killing any kangaroos on the drive in. <laughs> that was terrifying. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then, you know, I tripped around and went up to Wave Rock and Pinnacles and spent some time with a friend in Perth and, uh, and friends in Melbourne. And, it was amazing, um, but in terms of like places that are, um, Yellowstone's my favorite place because the wild, I, I do equal parts of wildlife and landscape. Um, wildlife is more predictable, but it's more it's more exciting. I mean, I've almost been gored by bison three times Whoa. in Yellowstone. <laughs> uh, once they're pretty big. I went to the um, Museum of Natural History in, in America. Right. They're big. Yeah, when you stand <laughs> that close to one, I, I almost got too close. Um, so that's that's kind of my favorite, but I, I love the desert as well, and the desert southwest in the U.S. That's mind blowing when you get off into some of the really remote places there. Uh, it's staggering, really beautiful. But um, yeah, oh, and I went to Uluru as well while I was in Oz, and that, that was really awesome. Yeah, it really does look special at sunrise yeah. and sunset. It's Perhaps it was his keen photographer's eye that led Ollie into his role in Unbounce. Yeah, how does a wildlife photographer go from chasing shots of bison to starting a crusade to resurrect landing pages? So Rick, our CEO, he had two ideas. 
back in August, well, the summer of 2009, and a bunch of us got together, probably about 10 of us at one point, you know, just throwing out, talking about the ideas over drinks, and, you know, we whittled down, we chose the best idea, basically, we chose, the other one would have been terrible, I don't quite remember what it was, but, uh, and then, we, well, it was something to do <laughs> with, like, scoop. dynamically controlled ads, uh, but, like, what respectable website is going to let you change the ad on the fly like you could uh, make it say anything I think it's a terrible idea yeah um, and then we wrote the numbers down to six of us who have all worked together in the past we okay together some half of us worked together at a startup in 2000 called blue zone and we all got laid off on 9-11 mm-hmm. not because of 9-11 right. just, just coincidence and leak time for yeah or <laughs> uh, or I got into Canada just the right time before the crash. It was okay. easy for me to get a, a visa. You just uh, had to find a stoned uh, housekeeper. <laughs> <laughs> Did your research? <laughs> well, like when I get my permanent residence, like <laughs> the start of Gold Blue Zone, it's funny. I was on the phone. Fo- I was in London. I was on the phone with them. You know, eight-hour time difference. And I'm sitting having a beer. I've got my CV on the screen, and I'm so nervous. I had this like paranoia that everybody in Vancouver like they're all so cool and they drink coffee and they all do that and they go these play I don't know I was like terrified of I didn't know anything about like anything I was such a naive little prick back then um, I was sitting there waiting and I'm drinking a beer and the phone and this is old school right so I've got an actual physical phone there and it rings while having a drink and I scared the crap out of myself and I dropped the beer all over the keyboard all over my paper CV that I had next to it and like just got the job it's quite easy but <laughs> anyway sorry um, so we all decided yeah let's do this like August 14th 2009 and we needed a marketer it seemed most natural I had never been a marketer before I didn't like marketers um, but you know I'd done a lot of UX Usability, interaction design, been a creative director. Yep. Always had a strong opinion, so I figured <laughs> <laughs> that was the right way to go. And that was heavily influenced by Moz. Mm-hmm. They've always been kind of like a big brother to us because they're about a couple years ahead in terms of their, you know, their growth. Yeah. And they're close, you know, Vancouver, Seattle. And Ren's a good friend of ours. He was an advisor very early on. Okay. Um, A blessing from Moz isn't given to just any good-looking conglomerate of geniuses. Unbounce was shown the love because of its core value system that struck a chord with the heart muscle of Moz. Ollie's team shares their strong ideology with a digital marketing community with their annual call to action conference, which is defined by its extremely open, welcoming atmosphere. Totally. There's definitely similarities and. So, you know, the whole tag fee thing, we decided we need to have core values at Unbounce. Mm-hmm. So we actually brought a senior leadership team. Um, it was most of the founders, I think, and then a couple other people who've been with us a long time. And we came to Seattle, actually. Okay. And it was set up wonderfully. I think Steph uh, Greaser, who our international marketing manager, I think she set up at the time. So we started in the morning at one open kind of uh, workspace mm-hmm. like just a big table in a room by ourselves and we start you know, brainstorming how to come up with this kind of thing to identify who we were and then we went for 
breakfast or lunch at somewhere. Then we went to another working space. Like it was just like we kept going the same direction down the streets of Seattle. Then another and a place for dinner, and we just had this amazing uh, day of, of talking it through. And you know, stickies everywhere. What halfway through we're like. The restaurant totally sucks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a little bit, you know. <laughs> but then halfway through, we're like, oh, fuck's sake, we've just got tag feet. <laughs> well, a slight modification yeah. on like, Let's focus, focus. Let's not be so, like... Feet tag. Like, yeah. <laughs> and eventually it came down to, um, we had six. We didn't have a good name. They like, didn't sound good together. The, the only thing we kind of came up with was, it was the CDG, the Customer Delight Gang. That's kind of how it, it works. Um, Makes sense. Yeah, you know, sort of transparency, humility, empowerment, uh, courage, delight, and generosity. Um, which one resonates most with me? You know what? There's a seventh unofficial one that I came up with okay. that a lot of people are in support of. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were going to launch it officially as a, a seventh, but a couple of people were concerned with the line. It basically is gas, which stands for giving a shit. Okay. Uh, which is way more important to me because it underpins all of them like yeah. if you give a shit like every other value becomes hmm. bigger and more powerful and but some people were afraid that the word shit wasn't appropriate and gas as well imagine humans are so sheepish when it comes to embracing their bodily functions I haven't thought twice about the contents of my recycle bin <laughs> but the thing is it's not the kind of thing you want to overdo hmm. um, which is something I've noticed because when it's used sparingly I brought it up in a meeting recently uh, about someone in a situation and Rick actually turned to me and said yeah you were right about that mm. like the whole gas thing so that, that was the best thing we said all day yeah. spot on with that but thinking about it in my head I don't know if it was an om- if it was a present if it was mm-hmm. there officially whether it would just be overused and it would become annoying yeah I don't know but that's the one I believe for a new company Negotiating a sustainable structure and setting up values that everyone is comfortable with is a major step that has its advantages and disadvantages. The advantage, and we have six, which is very rare. Uh, but I thought, I think I saw a graph at one point where the more co-founders, the more successful companies are. Um, but it's just not very common. Uh, the advan- major advantage was we didn't have to hire anyone for two years because we could do everything. There was a healthy overlap of creative and technical between many of us. In fact, Jason, who was our COO at the beginning, he uh, we have a new COO now, and he does some kind of special ops stuff. He was a creative director back in the Blue Zone days of 2000 when we first met him and Justin and Rick. So, as we were kind of getting started, I was a little unsure of you know who was going to do what with right. certain things. And then Jason suddenly puts his hand up and says, can I do, like, legal and finance? <laughs> we're like, Ooh, fucking right, you can. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I get to do all the creative stuff. There's only one disadvantage, and that's that we all have a smaller piece of the company than we would have if we were to. Yeah. That's the only disadvantage. By sharing all the risks together, the team reaps the rewards together, so in that sense... It's a mutual reward, but as the company grows, learning where the value really exists and how to spread that value amongst the team is a constant lesson. Yeah, totally. And some people have more. We started out equally, but some of a few of us had to take a salary early on because we were just broke. Yeah. Um, like three of us had to, you know. So 
And that's what's really interesting, the learning from that, because that's meaningless at the beginning. Mm. That's pennies. Yeah. But now it actually makes a big difference eight years on, like, the, the difference of how much you own. But, you know, yeah. it's, we all have a, we're, we have, we have a majority within the six of us. We raise, like, under a million Canadians. So we have some investors, but they're all happy and they never bug us. Being based in the northern wilds of Canada, as opposed to Silicon Valley, also came with some advantages. At the beginning, everyone assumed we were in the valley. You know, we'd get emails and uh, LinkedIn messages saying, hey, you want to meet up for drinks? We'd love to, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know you're, like, over a thousand miles away, (laughs) right? Like, you know, do your research. We're not there. Um, I think it was great because... Uh, Canada's just an amazing country. Uh, we're, all, we're all very thankful that we live there and how, how amazing it is. Vancouver's a stunning place. And I think there's just a certain style to Canadian business. I'm not sure that, that, uh, that it's good. And now that I'm learning more about how investment and all that kind of thing works, uh, you know, our investors, it was small, but they're very much. I don't know, there's, there's different kinds. Like in the Valley, a lot of the investment is all about pumping money into as many companies as fast as possible. If a bunch of them fail, they don't care. They're just banking on the, the, the big win. And that's never been our approach. We've always been like, let's get some revenue, let's like be profitable. And, you know, we were profitable for, for quickly and for years. I mean, you know, we invested more than we have. You know, we. we, we put a healthy balance of where we take our profitability and, and over and under just to make sure we're investing enough in the company for hiring and everything like that. Uh, we could be profitable in a second if we wanted to be, but we like to you know, make sure we grow in the right way, but also carefully, you know, we do not want it and nobody does. So you guys looking to just bootstrap things moving forward? Uh, no, we've never turned down the idea of raising more capital. Mm-hmm. Um, it just had to be for the right reason. Right. And we know what the right reasons are. And you know we're we're we always have that in the back of our minds for when the right opportunity comes around. So no, we've never we've never been like we're not going to do that. We just want to do it correctly. And we've had some really great advisors. Uh, some of them, you know, investors. And you know, someone said, "Oh, you should raise a bunch of money." But the ones who we trust were all like, "You guys are doing fine. Just yeah. Don't do it." Like <laughs> they were actually very selfless in saying, "You know what? I could ask you." Yeah, to be involved and raise some money, but I don't think you should. Yeah, so it's nice to be surrounded by people who actually are a bit more caring. But yeah, I just I just think it's a. Well, also, you know, we bill in US dollars, so <laughs> we get a, we nice. get a nice uptick there as well. So yeah. that's good. 2011 was the turning point for Ollie and Unbounce when he published a massive blog post for Moz entitled "The New Guide to Online Marketing." That post helped put Unbounce on the map from a brand awareness perspective and also impacted the entire culture within Unbounce. So I originally, like I said, I was doing lots of guest posting. I did a a post on the Moz blog, which was called the 12-step landing page rehab program. Mm -hmm. And, you know, back then, I think it's the same. You post on UMoz and if it does well, then put it on the main blog. It did great. It performed so well and started establishing a bit of personal and company brand for us and then Rand reached out and said you're going to post again this is, you know, 
six months later or something. And I said, yeah, and it's going to be epic. Uh, I Best off. infographic ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, like, I like doing that. I like verbalizing to people what I'm going to do to put peer pressure on myself to actually do it. Yeah, nice. Accountability. It's, yeah. And so I, I, and th- I, this is funny because we didn't have core values then, but if you look back at the way we behaved, you can see them there. I mean, that courage and generosity in that, because courage to, as a small startup to A, spend months, not full time, but months coming up. There's a 15,000 word post, a 50 million pixel infographic. And I'm a, I'm a pretty good designer, but I'm a very slow designer. And that thing, that meticulous thing, it took me so long, but I loved doing it. I remember, you know, um, being with Justin and Carter going, like, okay, I need your technical help. Yeah, I was trying to figure out how to get all those segments, the circle thing. I was like, how do I do this in Photoshop? How, how can I mathematically that's correct in the right shape and everything? We're all sketching ideas on the wall, like whiteboarding it, and finally figured it out. But it was um, also the courage to put it on the Moz blog. Like, and Rand said, are you sure about this? Like, this is massive. I'm like, yeah, you know, I mean, our blog was okay, but it's nowhere near the size of the blog and the community that Moz had. So I'm like, yeah, no, I want to do it. I put it on there, and it smashed every record and held them for years. It's been beaten now, I think, but uh, uh, it was it was just incredible. It's been translated into like twelve languages. Uh, we get sent photos of people who printed on our office walls. It's like six feet long. Wow. The infographic, uh, and that's when infographics were different. Yeah. And, uh, and it wasn't really infographic. I mean, there was information on it, but it, <laughs> it wasn't like the, stat, yeah. you know, the classic like data and stuff. By producing an incredibly useful piece of content, Ollie entered into the, quote, information is beautiful, end quote, category of infographics. Well, and the interesting thing was it was a self-referential journey. So it was basically a six-month course to becoming a marketer in a full-stack marketer, so every kind. And it was I was just talking about my own journey as I learned all of this stuff and tried to master it. And it, uh, yeah, and I think that's why it resonated with people. And it, it just, yeah, it just, the, just the comment thread on the Moz blog, <laughs> it was insane. Right? It was, it was just so enjoyable to, to go through that process and to see how the community reacted. You know, I came to my first Moz call and people were like, ah, it's that guy. Yeah, and it was just like crazy. And I wasn't a speaker back then because that scared the crap out of me. It's the uh, noob guy. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it had a, a pretty profound effect on, uh, you know, our, the perception of us and it really did help put us on the map. Uh, there were really two things. that it was that from the content perspective and then we did a, a technical integration with MailChimp, which was kind of the big product accelerator. Those two things kind of happened at the same time, yeah. which really pushed us on. That infographic set a tone for what people expected from Unbounce. Comprehensive, beautiful, and effective. The most recent product has a really cool interface. It's hard to sum it up without sounding like an advertorial, but it's drag and drop, fully customizable, and fucking fantastic. So I had this concept for a cyber cafe called Drag and Drop. Kind of a play on Jim Jarmusch's coffee and cigarettes, you know? Like, we use augmented reality so you can share a late night cup of quilted coffee from Bill Murray. <laughs> Great, right? No, nothing at all. Another idea to drag and drop into the recycle bin. 
I guess I have to learn to be more flexible with some of these ideas, huh? Yes. From day one? Oh, yeah, always super flexible. Like, so you can, you can, you know, you can change anything. Because it was important to us. And there's things I don't like about it. It frustrates the hell out of me sometimes. But it is very powerful. You can recreate a pixel-perfect rendition of your design, your Photoshop file, whatever it is in there. Because you have full control. You can use a template if you want. Uh, but, you know... And that's important to us because brand matters to us. We want to have customers who were brands and companies, valid, like real businesses who care about that and don't just want some uh, landing page or, pages uh, <laughs> stuff. <laughs> so over, no overlays which we do now as well. You know, those kind of things always appeared off brand in mm. many of the providers that had them, and we didn't want to uh, facilitate people going down that path. The journey is intended to be a seamless experience, one that keeps people from freaking out and saying, oh my God, I'm on a landing page, get me out of here. It needs to feel exactly <laughs> like your ad, exactly like your website, um, you know, just, just on brand. And you know, we, we felt that we, in, in the commentary that went along with it when people were, were using it, they, they valued that. It sounds good. That, and, you know, and it's a powerful tool. Uh, there's a lot of stuff you can hack. Like I was working with Francis Nicole on a page the other day, putting in a whole bunch of uh, Facebook pixel tracking and putting some custom code in there to do some cool tracking. She's working um, optimizing Scott Stratton's blog, the okay. marketing yeah. uh, podcast, rather, which is really hmm. cool. So we were hacking some app together, and it, it's kind of fun, but <laughs> it's very different to when we started. Rick's vision was yeah, we just need some text on a button. Right. And that's it. So that's the landing page. <laughs> Because we came from the, the gambling world where it wasn't lead gen, it was all about click-throughs to, right. for discounts, offers and stuff, like 60, you know, 60 bucks free for your first poker game or whatever. Um, so yeah, we didn't even have a form. So there wasn't any data capture iteration, I presume? <laughs> Nothing. It took us a while to kind of go, mm, mm. <laughs> But and I remember Carl, our CTO, I think he said that Justin is the one to create the builder. Um, and he, uh, I think, I don't remember, I think Carl was saying, like, really? Like, we're going to we're gonna build this thing? Like, I, I think that's way over the top. I, think, I don't know what he wanted to do instead. Buy some, I, I'm not sure, but Justin was like, took that as a challenge and went, went away and just like quickly coded up the, well, here's how it could work. <laughs> With a little bit of this functionality. And I was like, holy crap. It's alive. <laughs> yeah. Make it live. Yeah. So it was uh, interesting times. Things are always in motion and the world of marketing has changed so much since 2011. One thing that's changed is that I now know that SEM and PPC are the same thing. <laughs> they, were, they were two things on this. I, don't know. I You know, like I was a noob becoming an expert. <laughs> that, that was a faux pas. Um, other than that, a lot of things are different. It's just technologies come and go. Yeah. There'll, there'll be things in there that the social platforms that don't exist anymore. You know, I think Dig does still exist, but Dig delicious, care? delicious, yeah. <laughs> All those kinds of things. So a lot of those have gone. Um, Stumble upon? Oh, it's still around, but yeah, yeah. I don't know anyone who uses it. No, and I got. Because I wasn't new back then, I got kicked off all of those channels early <laughs> on. I just I wasn't doing it right, and it took a couple of years before I could get back on some of them. Asking some big apology emails to like, hey, I didn't know what I was doing. I'm really legit. I'm sorry. Like, can you let me back on the platform? Um, 
but then there's a lot of new tech as well that didn't exist then. So I think that's probably the biggest change, and I'd have to reread it to know what other mm. bullshit I was saying. Unbounce recently conducted a study on the use of words that convey joy, which determined that they can lower a campaign's conversion rate by 40%, potentially signaling the death of joyfulness in marketing. Melancholy marketing has been usurped by legions of hipsters. It's all about using sepia tones and acid country music to sell four-wheel drives these days. God, I miss the 80s. Yeah, so there, there was a, a lot of, this whole study was based on anal analyzing text of uh, 74 million interactions with 75,000 lead gen landing pages in 10 different business verticals. And so there's the average conversion rates, that kind of stuff. Then there's um, reading ease, word count, sentiment and emotion. And yeah, there are certain there are certain surprising things, you know, certain uh, verticals where what you expect, you know, travel anger is bad. The more angry words, the worse the conversion they can get. Like these are all, you know, this is these are signals of things that we saw with that set of pages. Um, it's not this is the way, you know. Um, but just some fascinating observations, and yeah, you know, joy. You probably don't want joy on a on a, a bug exterminator's website, <laughs> right? You want some fear. Yeah. You want some disgust. <laughs> you know, these ugly mosquitoes or like crazy spiders. That's so everything's yeah. different. It's uh, and you know, reading ease, complexity of language. There are some verticals where you need to be as simple as possible, and somewhere you want to be complex, and there are some where you want to be complex or simple, but not in the middle. Yeah. It's it's fascinating. Then you can use cool tools like readable.io to kind of measure your reading ease and just make changes to it. I love that tool. It's very cheap. Um, we're going to build all that stuff in the app eventually. Nice. Uh, yeah, I mean, we I think we already have a little Chrome extension that kind of that analyzes the. When you oh, when you open the app, it will look at the text on the page and it'll it'll, it'll highlight uh, words of different emotions or something. I can't remember, but it, it's kind of cool. It's, it's has like a bit of sentiment analysis. Yeah, uh, and that's just you know if you have a page open in the app and you have this Chrome extension built into the app, but you can kind of work it together. So okay. we're, we're tinkering with some fun stuff. Our data science team is growing and growing. Not that I'm versed in these sort of things, but I gather that the algorithm is getting much smarter. You see, Bobby Bot, it's all about coming to a happy medium. Function and form go hand in hand, right? I don't think I would ever leave my body's design in either extreme. I could end up as an abstract art piece stashed in the basement in Berlin or a bean counting machine in an anonymous New Jersey warehouse. So you gotta combine those two extremes together and you get R2-D2. Balance is the way of a force, young Jedi. Fear does not exist in this dojo, does it? No, Sensei. Pain does not exist in this dojo, does it? No, Sensei. Defeat does not exist in this dojo, does it? No, Sensei. Prepare. Why do we study here? The way of this, sir. And what is the way? Strike first, strike hard. No mercy, sir. I can't hear you. Strike first, strike hard. No mercy, sir. I care about design and I care about... Um, because I because I, I love it, I respect it, and I, I I geek out on great design, but I'm not a very good designer. I'm okay, so I have that a little bit of that frustration, um, and so I have a larger respect for it. But I also I see how dysfunctional, like in my talk, I was saying how dysfunctional marketing teams are and how disrespectful marketers and designers, in particular, are towards one another. 
Um, and sometimes that's warranted because <laughs> you know some designers are just full of shit and they they're, yeah. they're not they're not open to uh, data and you know a different way of working. Conversely, marketers just think designs about things being pretty. Not all of them. Yeah. So I'm trying to bridge that gap and help people work together and have, develop more empathy, digital empathy. Uh, Take note, watch butt. <laughs> <laughs> So that they can work better together and everyone should be a bit happier because I, I read things like exit interviews when someone leaves. Um, where actually, and in designers, and some of the commentary they'll, they'll throw out is just because they're like, I'm not respected, you know? I, I interviewed a ton of people in, in the company and I was like, just, just, you know, this is, it's not off the record because I'm probably going to put stuff in my talk, but yeah. I'm not going to tell, it's going to be anonymous. Uh-huh. So they just unleash, and you know, I'd have someone say, uh, "Design isn't respected at our banks." Mm. I was like, "Holy fuck!" <laughs> <laughs> like it is, but also it isn't. I guess because mm. someone's feeling that way. Yeah. And I used to be the, crea- the creative director. I ran the creative team, and uh, we just hired an amazing new senior art director, uh, Cesar Martinez. And so I'm really excited for where we're going in the future, but. I just I just care passionately about it, but I also I love I love data. Um, otherwise, I wouldn't be interested in being an you know, optimizer, or a performance-based marketer. Uh, so yeah, MacGyvering. I I love whether it's you know taking a, a skewer, a wooden skewer for a barbecue, and like finally cutting it into quarters with a sharp knife so that I can get the right, and then roughing it like an arrow's feathers so I can stick it down. In a in a, a pipe that Nicole smokes weed out of, okay. so I can clean it because <laughs> <laughs> nice. you couldn't get any, you know. Or I was I built a digital studio in my basement uh, for my photography, and I the table uh, was connected against the wall with just one leg, yeah. So so it couldn't stand up. So I needed to find a way of having it stand up there so I could mark where to. You know, put a, a bracket there to sit on. I'm, like, well, I'm on my own. How do I do this? It was falling over. So I just measure the length of what the leg was, and I, and I just look around. And there's a piece of wood. I measure that, saw off the end, go over, stick it underneath. So I just made myself a stand that's the perfect height, put it there, then I do all the, 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 you know, the drawings where the holes go, and done. And then I throw that thing in the fire. Nice. Um, <laughs> I just I just geek out really hard on being able to solve a problem by looking around the room and, and what can I use to do this thing right now from anything that's in plain sight or at least in the house and I could live my life doing that nice. oh can you now Ollie Gardner or should I call you Ollie McGardner <laughs> seriously MacGyvering <laughs> is my favorite thing to do <laughs> in the world. I think it's time for another MacGyver Challenge watch. Alright, so here's the scene. Some bad guys with exquisite mullets just came into the room. They've locked Ollie away in the lift, but before they snatched him, he has a chance to take three items from his room. What are the three items he'll use to hatch his escape plan? The people were in a convention center looking around. There's a there's <laughs> works of art. <laughs> Statues. There's a crow or something. Uh, those escalators. Um, I couldn't fit an escalator in a lift. Much too big. Uh, there's a garbage bin. There's some 
I would take... Again, it's got to be water-soluble, something cellulose. Wow. Oh, there's a, and this hand sanitizer. I would take the hand sanitizer thing that does lubrication in there. That's going to be good for something, whether yep. it's whether it's <laughs> like, you know, just keep myself happy before I die. Bingo. Uh, uh, <laughs> right, we probably won't need much more than a few grams, but we're going to have to contain it in something. And it is, because it's... I would take this... <clears throat> oh, I'd take that thing over there, the, that that long pole statue with the oh, spiky yeah. like things on yeah. it. That, that would be a really good weapon. Yeah. And I could also jam it between the doors once I lubricate them and open them a little bit. I just noticed an emergency phone on the wall. Maybe that would reach. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I got half the way there and it snapped. Yeah. Um, I think you're starting to get the hang of this. Uh, yeah. I'm going to take that. Yeah, I'm going to take the, the bat phone. Nice. Yeah, be good. Ollie McGardner has escaped, ladies and gentlebots, based on his experience and experiments. But now free Ollie has cooked up what he sees as the ideal relationship between marketers, designers, and copywriters. Ollie, enlighten us, please. It is for everyone to kind of start at the beginning, you know, project at the same at the same time, because often someone whoever's leading it, the marketer, maybe the project manager, will will do a bunch of stuff ahead of time, uh, which may or may not include collecting some data. And if people aren't involved in that, then they're just kind of being handed stuff like, oh, here can you? Here's a brief. Can you just go and do something? There's there's not enough collaboration at the beginning. I know that's a very simple thing to say yeah, well okay yeah work more together but that's why I created this process because mm. it's designed for you to do that you collect the data to, well you look at the playbook so you understand what data you should be looking at for what it is you're working on that's one of the, that's kind of one of the main ingredients is because everyone's overwhelmed by the amount of data out there and if you can simplify it like that then it's easy for the whole team to understand you can collect like go oh Okay, I'm going to look in GA and pull this report. You, designer, how about you go and do a bunch of usability tests mm-hmm. and you, copywriter, get in Hotjar and, you know, put a survey on the blog and look at some heat maps. All come together, look at this stuff, make observations as a team, and then you do all the sketching. The sketching, that's, we take that, we have a, the team calls it like a, a modified Google Sprint thing we do. And it's really cool. I, I've been running brainstorms for years, and the way some of the team run them was really cool. Where we, you know, we talk about stuff for a bit, and then everyone leaves the room with a big sheet of paper, and you go sketch all your ideas, and you come back and you present, and you can see like, huh, ninety percent of what you said is nonsense, but that bit is gold. Mm-hmm. And then what you said, ah, uh, and then what I said, and you put it together, and then the designer gets to go away and start doing something that is agreed upon and it's collective insight and knowledge so I think yeah it's when and that allows people to see each other's talents Mm. and that's the important part because when uh, a marketer can see how a designer thinks and works and be included they'll have more respect for them and vice versa and you know so you've almost like created like a blueprint that all three of those uh, roles can can look at and yeah track as a project. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whereas previously, they're kind of like, well, what have, what have I got to do with you? What have you got to do with me? I yeah. my bits. And, and then the copyright design thing as well, really yeah. common that, you know, like, oh, I can't start designing it because I don't have any copy. And then so they have to wait a week and they either do some generic design on the way or they wait a week and they're doing something else. And then the copywriter gives them the copy and they're like, oh, well, your headline doesn't fit in my design. I'm going to change. I'm going to make your headline short. You can't do that. I wrote that headline. It's perfect. That's what. That's what we're trying. That's the message. Well, it doesn't fit in my design. We'll change your design. And it's like, <laughs> you know, and that's the problem with template. In as a, you know, they're a great starting point, but you can't be bound by yeah. them. Or you have like a landing page too, that's very flexible. So now that we know all the components necessary to create the ideal body, I mean landing page. What's the most important element of a landing page when you're looking into increasing conversions? Lord knows we need to convert them. I, I would say the clarity of. Um, communicating your value proposition because mm-hmm. if, you, if you can't get that right you're screwed basically when demoing the automation tool for Unbounce it appeared to be copy only but this was a logical starting point not just a value proposition that was the easiest place to begin because all we have is the copy and the design interpreting the design is very <laughs> complex yeah uh, but there's three things there's the the copy, the design, and then there's the traffic. So what we're doing now, we're working with a couple of universities on doing the visual analysis, mm-hmm. and neural nets, and all kinds of stuff, so that they'll just look at a screenshot of the page and try and understand conversion yeah. just by looking at it. And then, yeah, the third part is the traffic. So what is the context? Because mm-hmm. ju- all this does right now is on page. But when we m- merge that with the context of all of the information in the traffic logs, and hopefully some other external context, then the algorithm will become more powerful and it will work much, it will be able to figure things out much more quickly uh, than just copy alone. But I think copy is still the most persuasive element of any marketing experience. Design can be incredibly persuasive, but it depends on your industry. You know, like beautiful, sexy, lustrous design might be important fashion, uh, in some other things, it's just about really communicating as quickly as possible. So definitely, you know, clarity is right up there. I think. Once content has been created, the next step is to determine where it sits on a page, especially below the fold of a landing page, considering that all useful information about a product can't always fit above the fold. To scroll or not to scroll, that is the question. What's it but yeah, the fold, I mean, it's been this <laughs> debated topic for years. It, it was important back in the day when Jacob Nielsen brought it up with X percent weren't scrolling, weren't, weren't scrolling. But that, those days have gone, they've changed. But it's still important. Something we see uh, that's really important, uh, that we've seen repeatedly, is the amount that people scroll down your page, there's, there's different ways to help them do that. There's visual cues that there's more. There's using internal navs, so sticky nav and stuff. That encourages more exploration because people choose them and they want to go and bring them down the page. But almost more importantly, what we've discovered is if you take your call to action and move it all the way at the bottom of the page, mm-hmm. people have to look for it. Right. So they go hunting and they read all of this content or more of it Interesting. on the way there. So then there's a, a chance, and we've seen this increase conversions several times. And, uh, part of my hypothesis there is that uh, even if you get 
more sign-ups than this above the fold. Yeah. They might not be as qualified because they haven't read some of these things. They might get in your app. They have a problem. They don't. They want. Oh, 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 it needs this feature. Oh, it doesn't do this. Maybe it does, yeah. but you can't find it. You know, in Microsoft Word, there's so many features. There's many you'll never know exist. Yeah. Can be the same thing. They might leave, but if they've seen this whole thing, they may, they may have seen the Salesforce or Mailchimp logo as they scroll down. They know that integration exists, yeah. or they may have you know caught words or imagery that just makes them more qualified or better educated and can maybe have a higher lifetime value as a customer. Ultimately, it comes down to design. If you really want people to scroll below the fold, you have to include that in the design so they actually have a reason to. Definitely. So the clarity is probably the first part. So you have to communicate well enough that they'll they'll go, okay, I want to stay here. Mm-hmm. So I, I get what this is. But yeah, then you can use design to change on-page behavior. Yeah. Draw them to different places and to highlight different things. So that's where so the copy starts it. Yeah. And then the design takes over on that. And that's where we need to debunk that notion of, oh, you know, this is the standard conversion rate for a landing page. Whereas if you want to change that, and in some cases you might need to lower that conversion rate. Right. By getting them to do different things. But you've got to cue them towards those elements. Yeah, exactly. And, and it, that's what's fascinating about, well, I think it's fascinating about my current talk and process, which I learned as I developed it, was this whole micrometric thing. Like when you make 15, look at the data and you make 15 observations based on usability tests, heat maps, all this kind of stuff. Then when you run a test, you're looking at all of those things to see how, because your, your new design ideas are to influence change based on those observations. So you can look at 15 micrometrics, like have I changed behavior based on that, 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 that. And then the conversion rate, of course, is king, but, well, not always, you know. If you change things in the right way, like I was saying, like if you can reduce the number of fake emails submitted in your forms by 37%, and you take a little hit in conversion, I would take the, yeah. the better email list then, you know, so it's... And if, you, if you're not looking in that detail, you're missing the picture. Interesting. But what about image sliders? Are they still like a thing? If not, what are the alternatives? Grid box, static bound images, no images, Bon Jovi posters? But yes, sliders still exist, much to the chagrin of myself and many other optimizers. <laughs> um, which, I'm, I'm there in the playbook, right? What you should look for to be able to analyze it and optimize it and decide whether it should even be there. There's stuff in there for that. but. Uh, something I, that's it was bubbling last year, I think. Um, I think it's going to be more of a trend this year. Is what's it called? I forget. It's like um, on page load, you get a wireframe basically. Mm-hmm. You see it laid out as a wireframe, and then the content starts to come in. And what it does is it gives you this quick signal that okay, it's loaded because that can happen much more quickly. Mm-hmm. And it gives you a sense of some layout, and then content will will come in and I forget what it's called but it's it's pretty cool there's, there's some things like that that are happening and hopefully yeah like sliders will you know that's that's where hopefully in the conversion automation space where we're going at some point we'll be able to automatically be gathering the data that says nobody goes to slide 2, 4 and 7 of this <laughs> thing just delete them you know and yeah. it's it's insight that comes with solid foundational data that you can go, hey, can we please take this off now? So, 
disproven with the data, just like excess laser cannons. Foiled again. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> my favorite talk that I want to do. Hopefully, in a year's time or something, would be, you know, I talked about this on CTA. I think, um, you know, twenty things you always thought you knew about conversion or marketing that we've now proved a total and utter bullshit. Yeah. Oh, that'd you be know, awesome. Actual myth busting. Yeah. Uh, so. Nice. It can also be a good idea to display product videos alongside of a lead form, so long as it does not dilute the visitor's attention. Uh, it depends what it is. Um, yeah, there's no, there's no right or wrong there. I mean, product videos can be great, depending on what the product is. Um... You know, I was looking at, someone told me about the experience of having a test drive in a Tesla recently and said it's something you just do because of the customer experience from start to finish, it's just so incredible. Um, so I was looking at their website and they are the most frustrating uh, brand in the world in many ways because you, there's, no, there's no data, there's no details in, in their things and the videos aren't complete, they don't show you the things you want to see. So product videos can be great if they're good mm. and if they were created, created to present the information that the consumer actually wants. And yeah. that, that's where things like Wistia's chapter can be really great because you can have visual cues as to where the chapters are and you can also have uh, titles I believe associated with them so people can see what's going to be in this video and choose where they want to go, choose their own adventure based on the content, then you can look at the data and go, everybody actually is just, a, they had a great example when they first launched this, it was from a car manufacturer, how they had all the things in their house so powerful and da 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 da, all anyone cared about was the iPad type style display, right. that's what everyone was clicking on, that's yeah, the yeah. tech that they cared about, so the insights you can derive from that. Uh, video in that case is a great mechanism just for learning. I got in an Uber once on Capitol Hill and it happened to be a Tesla. I just needed to go to Capitol Hill and I, so I said, can you show me what this thing can do? And he took us on a freeway and the torque was not to zero in two seconds. Just sort of vroom, And he went off. I think he went on to an exit and sort of drove really fast back into Capitol Hill. It was pretty cool. The soiled scent of musk strikes yet again. You're such a traitor watch. Cool your jets, Bobby Bot. And in other news, itbusiness.ca reported that Unbounce is on a quest to revive overlays, aka pop-ups. That's basically your whole conversation style, right, Bobby Bot? Oh, oh, look, look, here, here, here's a little pop-up sign language for you, watch. Very mature, Bobby. Very mature. Well, we released overlays as a feature in Unbounce for many reasons. Um, they're a uh, highly used, you know, interactive device. Uh, the reason we call them overlays is because we were trying to, you know, draw this line in the sand that pop-ups are bad. That was in the past. These are the the future done respectfully. And that's kind of we're trying to take the stance of responsible use of technology. You know, these things work. They work really well when you do it right, and it can be a delightful experience. They can be funny. They can be really like um, my ex kickbox instructor Richie he has he uses them on his site and it's got some really funny stuff on there and people love it yeah. you know it depends how you use it and we've got customers where they ran an experiment where they had product based overlays and they put it on their blog um, versus some content related ones mm-hmm. and the product ones on the blog they just like 0.5% conversion rate 
the content ones convert at 10% because yeah. it was something they needed and then on conversely the content ones on the website not the blog didn't work but the product ones did you know mm. and it's, it's choosing where and when and we built pretty advanced triggering and targeting in there so you can really do it right we have 10 different overlays we're using on the Unbound site in different places but once you've seen one you never see another Right. we don't let you have that experience because mm-hmm. we care about doing it responsibly and using it as an interactive device that is just generally actually helpful uh, we've had them that convert 29% right. because it was offering videos for an event and it's like yeah I want free videos mm-hmm. you know that, that's something people want so as long as you're not just interrupting people for the sake of like shouting at them they can yeah. be a really uh, powerful thing and to Will's point, and Bobby's refusal to acknowledge a little thing called patience, if it's done in the context of a searcher's journey, where you can kind of make a pop-up as the next step, it can be quite useful. Right, yeah, there's many, there's many use cases. I mean, it's, it's, you know, whether it's for offers that, well, oh, well yeah, I'll, I'll, like, I'll take 15% off shopping in this store, or whether it's, we call it traffic shaping. I've got to say I'm not a fan of the term. But uh, where you take someone from one page, high traffic page or something, and you push them somewhere further down the journey that is actually relevant to what they're trying to do, but you can kind of, you know, help move. You can experiment with different paths. And but yeah, one of the core things is the, the advanced targeting. You know, you can do lots of cool stuff with uh, like cookies and all kinds of stuff. So you can really be ver- and geo targeting and, and different triggers. You can really give someone uh, a good experience and also quickly figure out what's not a good experience like people don't react to that don't do it you know and keep working it my dream in the future is that that's automatically done for you functional testing not content testing so it'll say oh on your pricing page never put one of these ever 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 because it just hurts conversion rates but on your on your features page uh, a scroll depth of 60% overlay performs better than this use that I don't know the, the artificial intelligence will have to take these things to different places and make sure and I talked about this in a, in a noble talk um, it was last year at CTA where you know we could implant our core values into an algorithm <laughs> so you know if delight is one of your core values it can make suggestions based on you know you can add some more delight into this headline or into the copy on this overlay and so then it's making suggestions because that's the fear machines are going to take over well if we inject some human stuff in there then we'll be helping to make sure that doesn't happen you know developing some digital empathy I think the guy interviewing me at CTA like emotional intelligence yeah he was asking about that you know um, I like well if, if we can read an emotional intelligence book and learn from it and, and take uh positive steps a machine can read that too surely and yeah. <laughs> do something with it i like you ali and it seems like ai can help unbounce operate as a conversion automation platform for many many moons uh basically we have kind of we've planned out seven pillars and i forget them all right now um which is you know of the optimization kind of path um creation is one obviously so we'll, that's where, you know, where the, the builder comes in and then there's insights and analytics and uh, all these different pieces and then automation just sits in the middle of all of that speeds it up brings insights faster uh, so 
I don't know, it's going to be an interesting journey because we already, you know, things come to light. Like the myth-busting thing, the, the algorithm teaches us, oh, this actually doesn't matter. This isn't, this isn't, um, doesn't impact conversion. It, it might, yeah, it might be something you can use as a micro-signal, but it's not something that actually directly impacts conversion. We showed that the number of form fields is not predictive of conversion. It will impact conversion, but it's not predictive. It can't. There's no guarantee that if you if you do this, it will do that. Um, but when we start layering on the copy, as well as stuff about the form, then we actually do find predictive things in there. So mm-hmm. it's, it's about finding all these things that kind of go together. So I think can't wait till you guys of, figure it out. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that, that, some of it we just don't know what's going to happen, which is that weird. Mm. algorithmic AI thing it's like it's gonna figure some stuff out that we didn't anticipate (laughs) and then there's always that risk of wrong advice the algorithm decided that you don't need a form what you need is music and an animated background we did see some funny things some outliers in the data where you know it says on this this industry this type of page um, these types of words that represent joy or, or whatever emotion could be helpful in increasing the performance of the page but <laughs> you'd have you'd have some words in there like suggested words and you know one of them uh, for a webinar it, it might you know I'll just make one up it could be like telephone call or <laughs> or Yorkshire Terrier <laughs> you know it's nothing to do with it fax machine it somehow yeah somehow <laughs> crept into the <laughs> you know so obviously filtering and everything needs to be stronger and stronger before you really get true predictive stuff and suggestion engines that can actually you know do this and it will increase conversions you should also take note of Ollie's communication talents Bobby Bot. His role as a speaker has solidified him as a thought leader in the industry. Yeah, that's the most important thing you'll, you'll do, uh, I think, at least on the marketing side. But someone has to be a speaker. I didn't do it for years because I was scared, but what now I have it. It is the best thing, best thing for me personally, my my growth as a person, as a as a professional, as a marketer, um, and yeah, the way I started it, once I got guilted into doing it was I read How to Deliver TED Talk by Jeremy Donovan. Amazing book, changed the way I think and how I structure my talks. And I watched a TED Talk every day on the commute to work because my commute at the time on a bus was 17 minutes long. Exactly, that's how long a TED, no, 18 minutes was just the length of a TED Talk. So I'd get to work every you know, day going, ah, I'm gonna change the motherfucking world. You're about to get a world domination summit, Bobby Butt. Oh, I'm listening. There's three things I really care about, you know, with speaking. There's there's the design of the presentation itself, making it visually compelling and persuasive. There's the delivery of how you uh, you know present this you know as a speaker, as a, f- a physical person. And then there's what you're saying, and you know, and, and being entertaining, uh, entertaining and um, educational and inspiring. I should try and do all three of those things. We're actually doing a, a workshop. Part of our kind of commitment to gender diversity in speaking um, and conferences and, and in the workplace we're doing a thing called Center Stage Center Stage it's a workshop for women who want to be public speakers we're going to do it at Unbounce it's a passion project so we're doing it on the weekend we'll have maybe 20 people there 
and then there'll be a bunch of coaches. I'll be one of them. We're going to have some uh, great female speakers come in and be other coaches. Hopefully it'll be like the voice kind of thing, but there'll be some <laughs> presentations that everyone sees, but then, you know, you'll have a cohort. And if you're going to have a chair that spins around like Seal. I, wanna, I, I tried to do that one time at home. I want to watch the voice and actually do that. Uh, so we could tell what it was like. But there was some fundamental flaw in it. I mean, it was because we could never tell when it was time to turn around. Or right. I don't know. Because yeah, <laughs> the lead-ins have the, ah, I already saw them. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so that's going to be great. I, I, I'm really passionate about that. I coach uh, people at Unbounce all the time. Like, every year we have a new Unbounce who gets to speak at the conference. So I, I provide coaching for them every year. And it's, it, it's a lot of fun. And it's, uh, yeah, it's just a great thing to do, speaking. My gardener lives again. The most important conference is CTA Conf. Obviously, it's ours. Unbounce in Vancouver. Number two is Turing Fest in Edinburgh, because that's where I'm from. And MozCon is the only kind of other one that I've actually said, I want to speak there. I, I like speaking everywhere. But yep. it was the only one, just because of our friendship and uh, company and personal. It's like, and it's one of those, mm. as a marketer, it's just one of those places you want to speak. Yeah. So uh, checking that off a bucket list today was pretty epic. Awesome. Ollie was a fantastic guest, and I was very lucky enough to see him twice uh, this year, last year, 2017. Uh, he spoke at MozCon and also at his own conference, CTA Conf. Very, very entertaining, and Unbounce is working on incredible things. Unbounce have just released a landing page analyzer. It's a pretty good tool where you can upload a URL and it will analyze the landing page from a number of different points of view and will analyze your copy and base it against most popular words that are effective in various categories like we discussed earlier. Make sure you follow Ollie on social media at Ollie Gardner in most places. Um, we'll have a whole bunch of links and uh, links to his photography as well in the show notes and also some of those articles we discussed in our favorite work. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends, family, networks, colleagues, bots, pets, and associates. Uh, Bobby's been programmed to be a quick learner, so as usual, it's time for Bobby to ask me a few questions that piqued his curiosity from the episode. What you got for me today, Bobby? Question one. How important are First Impressions Watch, and what can we do in our digital spaces to gain the people's trust? Uh, very important. We have even less time to uh, to help people get answers. We've actually noticed that a lot of people, even in AdWords, they're typing in a query into the search box and they're just clicking the first ad they see. So they trust Google quite a lot. So as long as that matches their experience when they click the ad and land on the landing page, it's all good. But yeah, I think uh, people have less of an attention span than a goldfish these days. Question two. What lessons have helped you develop the ability to draw insights out of the sea of data? Probably the, the key bit of information that I took out of our interview was a lot of the time we do rely on best practices and you know what people have done in the past and rely on that work um, and try to match it to our own. But it's quite simple with, with a lot of uh, web development stuff. You know, things, if you want someone to scroll below the fold, 
then put visual cues in place so people scroll scroll below the fold. If you want people to use certain elements of your website, then you've got to guide them to those elements. So no matter what the data says, always look deeper. Question three, Autobots or Decepticons? Not really a, uh, a uh, Transformers fan, but I, I think I'll go with the good guys, the Autobots. Sorry, Bobby. I know it's your uh, grandparents or whatever, but <laughs> no offense. I hope you took some valuable information from this episode, Bobby. I did. Speaking with a dynamic personality with knowledge of design has been great. I think I can use a second opinion, though. I'll see you in a few, Watch. I've got a date with Kanye West. And then Destiny. In that order. Kind of like a double date. But not like dating Destiny, because that would just be kind of strange. I'll see you later. In the next episode of Watchcast, we speak with Melanie Spring from Branded Confidence. If you, you can get the best possible SEO ratings and like get people to your site, but your site sucks, it doesn't really matter. It's great that you get all this traffic, but if it doesn't read like a human wants to read it, then they're not going to stay. So great, you got them to your site and then you didn't get them to stay and you spent all this time and all this money on something that didn't do anything. But in the meantime, remember to look after each other online because empathy is organic and you can't automate empathy.